So I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter from verses 1 through to 16. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's lovely to uh, be with you here at St. Columns or online. I want to ask, I want to begin with a question. Do you ever lose heart as followers of Jesus? Or perhaps you feel a little bit disappointed from time to time or even frustrated? Now, I'm not surprised if some of us answer yes to that question from time to time. It's perfectly understandable that sometimes we do lose heart or feel disappointed. After all, we don't see, we may not see our prayers answered immediately or over a longer period. We may see our family or friends leave the church or belittle us for our faith. We see the media criticise the church, sometimes justifiably and other times because we're an easy target. And there may be government decisions or legislation that are perhaps contrary to our Christian values or principles. And I could give you many more examples and you can think of others, I'm sure. Disappointment or losing heart is a very understandable and reasonable response. You may have listened to Tanya's reading and the beginning at verse 1 and at the end of verse, or the beginning of verse 16, Paul uses the expression, therefore we do not lose heart. Therefore that's the basis of what I'm going to talk about this morning and unpack, as Peter said, chapter 4. Paul, as the author of this letter to the church in Corinth, had really good reason to lose heart. There was division in the church that he had planted. He loved the Corinthians, but there was division. There were competing preachers, the so-called super apostles, and his integrity and authority as an apostle was being questioned. Now, it's happened to me only once 
when my integrity was questioned. My personal integrity was questioned and that hurt me. In my view, it wasn't justified, but that didn't take away the hurt and the feeling that someone doesn't trust me. That's only a small bit of how I think Paul felt. But what's Paul's response in verse 1 of this chapter? And if you've got a Bible at hand or on the phone or hard copy, you may wish to follow it. I'm not going to go verse by verse, but I will refer to various verses. In verse 1, Paul said, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Paul had a very clear purpose from God to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. That was his ministry. Yet he doesn't call upon his special position as an apostle to justify himself or not to lose heart. He rests on the mercy of God. And that comes from the end of chapter 3 where he wrote, and we all, all of us, are being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It comes back to God, not to lose heart, and he looks to the future. So then in chapter 4, he expands on this theme with three further reasons why he doesn't lose heart. And I think each of these reasons is helpful for us today. The first one is the Word of God is the truth. So what does Paul say about the Word of God? In verse 2, we do not distort the Word of God. Verse 2 again, we set forth the truth plainly. And then in verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, but we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul does not change the Word of God to suit the expectations of his hearers in Corinth, to suit the local society. He sticks to the Word of God and speaks it plainly. Now, of course, as outlined in verse 4, he explains that some people don't understand it because of the God of this age, that is the devil or Satan, has blinded them so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Now, this negative response to the gospel is exactly what the devil is trying to do. He wants people to remain ignorant or opposed to the gospel. They cannot see the light of the gospel. That is the devil's purpose. And it is spiritual warfare. Since the day of Jesus, and in fact before then, we are involved in spiritual warfare. Now let me give you an example from Jesus' teaching. We all know the parable of the sower. And explaining the parable of the sower to his disciples, Jesus in Matthew 13 said, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away from what was sown in their heart. So the evil one was there with Jesus. The devil is still standing against the gospel. And as Mark reminded us last week from chapter 3, the aroma of Christ is the fragrance of life for some and for others it is the smell of death. The aroma can be positive for those who see it, <coughs> excuse me, and the smell of death for others. The same aroma, very different responses. Now, people rejecting the message of the gospel is not new. It was there in Jesus' time, and it was not a surprise to Paul. It shouldn't be a surprise to us either. It is spiritual warfare. Now, of course, that doesn't necessarily make it easy for us, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't love others, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't try and explain the gospel and tell people about it. But when there's rejection, that is part of the spiritual warfare we are participating. But there is no need to change it. As N.T. Wright, that's Tom Wright, writes... You won't need to play fast and loose with the Bible itself or with the gospel message. 
You will simply need to speak it out openly and unafraid. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. It's what Jesus did. It's what our responsibility. And then in verse 6, Paul returns to the concept of light by going back to the creation story, back to Genesis chapter 1. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. The gospel stands in contrast to the sinful world that we live in. And of course, Jesus in John chapter 8 said, I'm the light of the world. And in Paul's own conversion on the road to Damascus, there was a light of heaven flashing around him. The contrast of light and darkness is a common theme throughout the Bible. And Paul talks about the light that shines in our hearts and so reveals more to us and helps us our understanding of God and his purposes because we look to the face of Christ. There is the light. And as we come to understand more and more with the help of the Holy Spirit, then we give glory to God, a contrast of light and darkness. So Paul doesn't lose heart because he has the word of God. The promise of the gospel is true and unchanging. It's clear for all those who have ears to hear. Now, the second reason that Paul doesn't lose heart is that Paul clearly understands who we are and who God is and what he has done for Jesus. Now, he uses this wonderful expression, well, I think it's wonderful, in verse 7, of treasures in jars of clay. Treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is the gospel. We are the jars of clay. We're nothing special as jars of clay. We're ordinary earthen vessels, humble and temporary pots used in, in an ordinary way in everyday life. Clay pots of various shapes and sizes. We know we're not all the same. That's certainly true. We're all different. We all have gifts from the Holy Spirit to be used in different ways, but we all have the same treasure. We may even get broken or cracked from time to time, but God has entrusted us with his message. That is, he's entrusted the message to fragile, frail and unique human beings. Within us, we have God's treasure. I just find that an amazing concept. Here is the almighty God, all-powerful, entrusting us with his message. We are God's co-workers or his fellow workers. God's strength is made perfect throughout our human weakness. It's not about us, our goodness or our deeds. It's about God and his grace and mercy. As one of the commentators put it, there is a huge difference between the message and us as messengers. The message is from God. We are purely his co-workers, frail as we are. Now, often in this world, we are a little bit inclined to put our leaders on a pedestal or even to worship them. Maybe they're pop stars, footballers, or in this week, even a football coach may have been put on a pedestal. Now, that is not God's way. God's people are ordinary and humble, not arrogant and proud. Now, I recall some years ago seeing John Stott in London. John Stott, as many of you would know, a well-known writer, think, Christian thinker and theologian. He was answering questions from the congregation in London, pre-submitted questions. And I recall one of his answers to what I thought was quite a reasonable question. I thought, oh, this is a good question. I wonder what John Stott's answer to this is. And his answer was, I don't know. And I thought, hang on. If John Stott doesn't know, I'm not surprised I don't know either. Um, he didn't try to bluff his way through it. He was honest. He explained his uncertainty. And I was left impressed by his humility and trust in God. That was a lesson for me, to see someone of John Stott's esteem, thoughtfulness, understanding of God, to say he didn't know. 
And Paul writes something similar in verse 5 when he says, we do not preach ourselves as Lord, uh, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. The gospel is not about us, but about Jesus. We are servants of our Lord Jesus and that approach or principle applies to all our ministries, wherever and whatever they may be. Now, we may be helping a neighbour or a work colleague. We may be sharing our resources with the poor or the church. We may be spending time praying for others. But as followers of Jesus, we do not focus on ourselves, but on showing God's love and mercy to those around us. Now, Paul, having used this term treasure in jars of clay, then goes on to highlight yet again the difficulties and sufferings that he faced in his life. He writes... We are hard-pressed on every side. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. Now, that's not a very pleasant life, if you think about it. It's pretty strong words. Paul is suffering. He has been humiliated, persecuted, struck down in his work for God. But he has not forgotten God, and God hasn't forgotten him. Let me complete these verses, because I've just given you the first half of each sentence. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. There is hope. As Paul writes in verse 7, the all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. God will deliver him from these trials. Paul does not lose heart, even in these difficult circumstances. He is suffering for the gospel. Of course, our reaction to Paul's confidence might be, oh, Okay, Paul, fair enough. I I see where you're coming from, but um, look, you're a bit different from us. After all, you did have that amazing experience on the road to Damascus. I've never seen anything quite like that. You were given this special ministry to the Gentiles. I'm a bit confused or uncertain as to what my ministry is, so not quite with you there. And I've never quite had anything like that vision. So Paul's sufferings may have been unique to him, but his approach to suffering and difficulties and distress within the Christian life, I think, is applicable to all of us. He trusts in our Lord God, whatever the circumstance. Now, let's also remember, going back to Jesus, our Lord, that his life was not straightforward or simple. He suffered more than we can imagine. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before his crucifixion, he said to Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew what was coming, being separated from the Father, from his Father, for our sake. But of course, that wasn't the end of it. The resurrection occurred, death was defeated, and there was new life. Paul identified with the suffering of Jesus for the sake of the Corinthians and over the longer term, for our sake. Jesus trod the road of obedience with opposition and pain, but as the suffering servant. Paul is sharing in the sufferings of Jesus, knowing that he will also share in the future glory. There is victory, and as Paul writes in verse 11, so that his life, that is the life of Jesus, may be revealed in our mortal body. There again is the treasure in jars of clay, the life revealed in our mortal body. In other words, although we are jars of clay, perhaps a little cracked from time to time, there is that wonderful treasure within it. Life is at work with the Holy Spirit. Death has been defeated. Paul's current sufferings are inconsequential when viewed 
from eternal life. And so we come to the third reason to why Paul doesn't lose heart, as he looks to the future. In verse 14 he writes, We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Get that? Present us with you, Paul's friends, the Corinthians, to himself, to Jesus. That is just amazing. We will be raised to eternal life with Jesus. We will be in the presence of Jesus forever and ever. And many of us celebrate Greg's life on Friday, and that's where Greg is. This long-term perspective can be very powerful for us as we face struggle, pain, and suffering in this world. Paul notes that the wonderful future is not just for the Corinthians. Yes, it is for them, as it is for us. But we shouldn't keep it to ourselves as Paul encourages. He writes in verse 13, we believe and therefore we speak. Now, we're not all evangelists, and I'm certainly recognize I'm not an evangelist, but as followers of Jesus, we need to be ready to speak so that God's grace and the message of the gospel can reach more and more people. And as Paul highlights in verse 15, such speaking will lead more and more people to give thanksgiving, more and more thanksgiving, to the glory of God, not to the glory of us, but to the glory of God. That is not to the glory of Paul either, but that we might give the glory to God. After all, without his mercy and grace, without the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope. God deserves all the glory. So as Paul concludes in verse 16, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. And I've highlighted three reasons. There were probably more, but I've just drawn out three in this chapter that we do not lose heart. We have the unchanging word of God. Don't meddle with it. Don't change it. It's God's word. We have the treasure of God within us. Life is at work within us. We have the Holy Spirit helping us through. And we have the future with Jesus forever. Like Paul, let's not lose heart. Let's persevere as servants of Jesus. I want to close with a couple of verses from the first letter of Peter, which says something very similar. I actually chose these verses to finish with before Greg's funeral on Friday, but they were also read at Greg's funeral on Friday. So in a sense, I'm remembering Greg as I read these verses, but I think it also sums up what Paul had written in chapter 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living